I bet you your mom never told you that you could invest in the market and still feel safe about it. Well, now you've heard it all, and you heard about the SEC funds in part one. We're just going to continue with that discussion and have a deeper dive. Welcome back. One more advantage of a psych fund is that because it's an in, inside an insurance product, it's privacy protected. But in terms of liquidity, so let's say I, you know, I, I absolutely need that twenty thousand. It's life saving. I want to get it out of that seg fund. How liquid is it? Do I get it within two days, a week, a month, a year? Like, what does the insurance company do to provide me that twenty thousand when I need it? and above that, what they are ideal for is because it is considered, the segregated fund is considered an insurance contract. What we normally do is assign a beneficiary. So there's two benefits to having a beneficiary assigned to an insurance product. Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals. Where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Well, we discussed in part one the different mechanics of the seg fund. So we're now going to deepen the discussion with my good friend uh, Terry Pitts, who is an independent financial advisor. Let's just jump right into it, shall we? Let's just talk a little bit about you know we we talked about the differences between that and a regular mutual fund. Are there other differences that we did not mention yet? So there, there are additional advantages. Um, so we mentioned the first one, your principal investment is protected. You have a, a guaranteed death benefit. Over and above that, what they are ideal for is because it is considered, the segregated fund is considered an insurance contract. What we normally do is assign a beneficiary. So there's two benefits to having a beneficiary assigned to an insurance product. As you know, insurance products provide creditor protection. So that's one. But number two is the ease of estate transfer, meaning uh, unlike the mutual fund, which uh, upon death of the individual investor, the mutual fund is uh, disposed of and is subject to uh, probate probate which can be expensive taxing. it's uh it's 1.5% of your total assets currently isn't it yeah so if so, you're um, if you're a dentist or a lawyer and you've got 20 million in assets 1.5% of that is a lot well i mean that's one part of the uh, that's one way it can be expensive but also it can be lengthy Correct. And that can be an expensive in itself. Yeah, because right. it takes. Uh, what is the what is the average length it takes to go through probate and the courts in Canada right now? That's a good question. I, I wouldn't know that off the top of my head. We've all seen and heard of 
horror stories. Yes, but let's not do the horror stories. Let's do the no, typical. No, no, fair enough. Yeah, the, the length of time really depends on the really depends on the estate. But I, I believe that the average is somewhere between three to six months. And the complication comes from one, were you organized before you die? Or do you ask your executor to search for every single paper around the house, around in every single bank account and every single contract you've managed throughout your life? Yeah. So if you were not organized, it takes the executor a lot of time just to get those paperwork done. And two, once the paperwork is done, you still have to wait your line in court to get that assessed by the courts. Depending on how organized you are and how long the wait time is in the court. And now with COVID, everything slowed down. You can imagine that the courts are even slower. And so in a nightmare case where you're totally disorganized, you have no will, no power of attorney, nobody knows what to do, nobody knows where the papers are, you can imagine how this probate process can take um, up to a year or even a year and a half, possibly. Yes. So let's go back to why that is a... So what happens then uh, on death with a segregated fund? The assigned beneficiary receives the, the amount of the segregated fund within a week. And it goes directly to the beneficiary, bypasses probate. And of course, you could, if there's taxes associated with the dispersal, I mean, that can be sorted out in the end. But uh, at least the beneficiary will receive their funds upon the receipt of a death certificate. Okay. Let's add uh, two more. One more advantage of a psych fund is that because it's an in, inside an insurance product, it's privacy protected the public do not have access to your site fund. That's why it's creditor protected in one way. So as an example, I go bankrupt or I declare bankruptcy or I'm being sued, whatever. All my investments that are not inside an insurance product are made public and creditors and people in the public can see what assets I have. And especially if I go through probate, all non-insurance products will be made public. Not that not that everybody wants to know how much Vuket Tran has in assets, but it's just a, another layer of, of privacy. And so because it is inside an insurance product, nobody, no public will have access to that. The second advantage that I see, uh, in addition to the privacy, is you talked about this many, many times, is that the investment uh, inside the SEG fund, the gains are tax sheltered. It depends where it's being held. Now you can hold the segregated fund in registered accounts like RSPs, TFSAs, yes. RIPs. But if you're holding uh, outside of a registered account, your growth, the growth can be like an open account. The growth will be taxed then. Creditor protected, and it's a, it's 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 excellent for estate transfers, and it bypasses it probate. Easy. The beneficiaries receive your your the you know the existing funds within the time it takes to provide a death benefit, uh, sorry, a death certificate to the to the insurance company. Right, and it bypasses probate. And it bypasses probate. So we talked about the advantages. Are there disadvantages? One of them is the higher fees. Obviously, 
is a disadvantage. Any other disadvantage? Well, you know, and the other thing is the, you know, the limited liquidity in terms of your guarantees. So that if you are, let's say you are in a position where you need funds and the value has dropped below the value of your guarantees and you decide you need some of your investment, you will, you will forfeit the guarantee, but not of the entire fund. We calculate, say you have 100,000, the market's down 40%, you have a 75% guarantee and you need $20,000 well, don't forget, you're now you're now taking money out of an investment that's the market's down 40. You're taking 20,000 out of a $60,000 investment. The remaining 40, you take 20, you've got 40 left. That still holds your guarantees. So there is a calculation that's done to determine the level of guarantees that will be be applied to the remaining funds in your investment account. So that, that's where you have that limited liquidity in terms of your guarantees. You'll still have the guarantees on the remaining funds, but uh, obviously the 20,000 that you liquidate is coming out with no guarantee on it. But that would not be different from any open registered, uh, open non-registered account anyways. It for, you forfeit the guarantee Correct. on your Correct. principal investment, that's all. Correct. It's it's not a disadvantage. It's just like everybody else. So if I had that hundred thousand sitting in a non-reg account, and I decide to take twenty thousand down when the when the I'm getting my teeth kicked in by the market, I'm still gonna lose that same amount. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is that if I do it in the way in it inside a seg fund, what you're saying is that twenty thousand doesn't have the guarantee on it. That's right. But in terms of liquidity, but, but your remaining forty, your remaining forty does maintain its guarantees. Correct. So there's a formula that will be calculated. It's not it's not complicated. Correct. But in terms of liquidity, so let's say I, you know, I I absolutely need that twenty thousand. It's life saving. I want to get it out of that seg fund. How liquid is it? Do I get it within two days, a week, a month, a year? Like, what does the insurance company do to provide me that 20,000 when I need it. No, if you need it, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's subject to any of the trading rules of any other investment product with meanings. Uh, it's available to you uh, within two days of the trade. Right. So T plus two days. T plus two. Okay, perfect. Oh, another disadvantage, uh, Terry, that you mentioned earlier, we mentioned earlier, but I think it's worth repeating is that the options and the spectrum of funds available inside this portfolio is not as wide as what you would find in a regular investment company such as Invesco, Fidelity, Vanguard, et cetera, et cetera, because it is inside an insurance company and their choices and options are not as wide. Uh, that's correct. Like if I look at one of the, you know, larger carriers of safe funds in Canada, uh, you know, you're looking probably about 75 to 80 funds, which is actually, you know, quite diverse because again, you're, you're looking at the ability to go anywhere from real estate uh, to fixed income to Canadian or U.S. equities and even uh, some uh, international equity funds. So, right. Um, uh, but again, the pool of segregated funds starts to shrink 
as you go through the guarantee cycle. So from 75-75, you may have 80 funds to choose from. By the time you get to 100-100, you know, the insurance company is trying to mitigate their exposure. So you may be down to about 15, 20 funds. Right. But so if you compare that to, let's say, a Fidelity, where they have probably 1,500, 2,000 funds, uh, it's already quite limited. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So we're not night, night, night and day. Night and day. We're not talking about the same scale here. And so that's a disadvantage of a seg fund because the options are not as wide. So now that we understand what's a seg fund, what does it do in the winter? Does it go skiing or not? Let's figure out uh, who should get it. We, I mentioned earlier, it's not everybody's cup of tea. And so who are the people that, you know, among your clients, you would say, you know what, uh, Mr. Smith, based on XYZ, based on strategy, uh, th- seg funds are an important part of your portfolio potentially. So who are those people? Well, I, I, I think, uh, I would think one of the, a group that could benefit quite a bit from utilizing seg funds would be small business owners and or even professionals that are looking for two things. They're looking for creditor and liability protection, but also they're looking for ease of transfer for their estates. Uh, this is uh, this would be ideal if they're holding savings outside of their corporations. Uh, so that, that would be one key group. Uh, I also think that um, as uh, seems to me that as individuals uh, age and get older and get closer to their expiry dates, that they would uh, not only benefit from the features of the segregated fund, but the psychological benefits, knowing that their affairs are that much more in order should something happen to them. I think that's important and, and sometimes understated. Uh, as we age, some of us will get uh, cognitive impairment, dementia. I'm, I'm already starting my dementia. I don't know if you knew. Uh, and so at the age of 65, 70, I may not be as sharp. And if I'm starting from a very low bar, you know that I'm, I'm not very sharp to begin with. And I'm starting very low. And at age 70, my bar is even lower. I may not be able to, you know, pick my own stock and my own bonds and, and my own index and ETF funds. So having something like this, that is stable, fairly conservative, and even if it's aggressive, it's still fairly conservative with the insurance wrapper around it, creditor protection, privacy, bypasses probate, you know, all those simplicity is priceless. And so for someone who is in that scenario, um, it, it is so over understated the, the simplicity and the, ad, the advantages that it offers. So definitely a good population to, to consider. Yeah. And so we talk about, you know, people aging, but there are a lot of people who don't want to deal with this. That's why, you know, they don't listen to my podcast. So hopefully they'll listen to my podcast, but they'll, but there are still some people who listen to my podcast, but they are fairly conservative. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, my sister, 
uh, is very, very conservative. She, despite what I say and whatever I counsel her on, she's still with a GIC that's offering her 0.025%, right? And uh, it it uh, it just irritates me to no end that to know that she's still in that GIC and does not want to change, but that's that's who she is. That's how she is. She's very conservative, and so for people who are conservative but looking for a better return and capital protection, because that's essentially what they're looking for, this may be a product for them as well. And and uh, it's also uh, not to be said that you know you have to have. 100% of your assets in seg funds or if you're aggressive in you know individual stocks and bonds it's it's a good idea to be diversified so even if you are an aggressive investor then you even have a you know a certain portion of your estate uh, with segregated funds uh, to make you know just because we never know when life happens right right and so this you you bring up a very good point you didn't say, you didn't really say it but I'll say it for you is that the seg fund can meet certain objectives within your your strategy and your plan right and so you could be an aggressive investor in invest invest you know 50% of your assets into an index fund at with the highest risk possible so let's say S&P 500 or you can invest in a Nasdaq ETF whatever you want to invest in or you can invest it in in gold ETF and in, in oil ETF that's what you like to play but that's for the long term right but you may have something or some financial obligation to meet in the short term for example, I I have some short-term obligations I need to meet, sending my kids to university. And so that's what, within seven to 10 years? Uh, for some people, that's long. For me, that's short. I don't want to lose my shirt in the market and all of a sudden be minus 40%. Yeah. Uh, and so I do want, I do like the idea of having something that is capital protected, that gives me better than a GIC, uh, and that uh, gives me a certain stability with a reasonable return, uh, but knowing that I have to pay some cost for it. And that is to meet a short-term goal. And so one can definitely invest very aggressively in the market for a long-term goal, but invest in something like this for a short-term goal or for a goal that is surely to happen. So something that is going to happen, like for example, sending kids to university or paying down a mortgage or paying down a renovation, et cetera. So different objective, different goals can have different um, strategies and risk uh, taking. Yeah, very good. Anybody else that you think would be ideal for this? Or did we exhaust that? I can't think of any investors that would not benefit from having seg funds or some type of, or some level of seg funds in their portfolios. Okay. So what you're saying is you would recommend a little bit of seg fund within everybody's portfolio to have that security uh, and that stableness in their portfolio. Depending on their individual circumstances, like, yes. Yes. This comes to the next segment about, well, who sells this and how can I buy a site fund? Yeah, so there, there's still quite a, a number of companies that uh, 
are carrying uh, seg funds uh, on their product shelf. Uh, insurance carriers. So the you know the usuals in, in Canada are you know the Sun Life's, the Canada Life's, Empire Life, Industrial Alliance, SSQ, just to name a few. Uh, the banks are now getting into the uh, life insurance business. So companies like BMO and RBC in particular, and so they also carry through their life insurance arms that they will also offer segregated funds. So BMO, RBC for sure. Manulife? Well, Manulife's an insurance company. So they would, and I didn't mention them, but uh, they should be mentioned. And then having said that, Manulife has now gone into banking. So you can see a lot of a lot of things going on there. Yeah, everybody want to eat someone else's breakfast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, Desjardins is a bank that also owns uh, insurance products. Does Desjardins have a seg fund? Desjardins does have seg funds, and they do have a, a life insurance uh, division. Okay, so it seems like everybody wants to eat everybody else's breakfast. So the banks are now going into life products, and the life companies want to go into the banking products. The main players in the life arena are from the bank side are RBC and BMO. Now the next question, I think we'll end with this. I want to buy the psych fund and you've alluded to that earlier. I can buy it in a non-reg account, but you know, if I wanted to purchase it with, within my TFSA or I want to purchase it within my RRSP, is that eligible? Uh, yes, you can, uh, you can have and hold uh, segregated funds, both in your RRSP, your TFSA, but uh, as well, you can hold seg funds in your RIF as well, and and many do. That's an important point because the RIF is that conversion of your RRSP into a different fund that is now whole purpose is for distribution of that money. So we're talking about typically 65 and above, and where we're now taking money out. And so we definitely want that stability within within that account. Correct. Um, we're going to talk about psych funds inside an IPP or inside a PPP. So IPP is individual pension plan and PPP is personal pension plan. And both of these plans are pension plans within a corporation. So either a small business corporation or a professional corporation. Uh, psych funds are now eligible within PPPs. That the question of cost definitely uh, is not necessary inside a pension fund because you already have that one layer of protection. So why would you need a different another layer of protection? But I believe the capital preservation feature is something that may be important for some people within a PPP. Yeah, yeah. So that that I would um, I'd be interested to explore a little bit more. Uh, but it's good to know that. If they're eligible to be in the IPP or PPP, someone's made it a reason to go outside the box to make to make that happen. I believe we've kind of exhausted all our questions and what we wanted to say about psych funds. Uh, would you like to maybe before the end summarize a few key points, a few takeaway points? Yeah, well, I think really it boils down to, you know, who are the persons or investors or individuals that would benefit most from a seg fund. And I think we've explored that a little bit. 
the one that always comes to the front of my mind are business owners and professionals that are incorporated and that are looking for that extra layer of liability and creditor protection. But then also those that are looking for, you know, that ease of transfer for estate reasons. So, you know, estate transfer and succession planning reasons and rationale. I think they're becoming, contrary to where, where we may have been, you know, five, 10 years ago, probably more like five, I think they're becoming more available. More carriers are getting into the business. They're becoming more competitive with their pricing and uh, offering, uh, you know, uh, a, a decent range of product availability. For some people, it may not be for all their marbles, but certainly some. Agree. Agree. So, you know, it's important. Uh, you've taught me this many times, and a lot of people have taught me this many times. Uh, diversification is the key, right? And so this is just another way to diversify your portfolio and diversify your risk and diversify your strategy. Okay, so Terry, I know what I'm having for dinner tonight. Do you know what you're having for dinner? I'm having filet mignon wrapped in bacon. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, again, Terry, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Okay, my pleasure, Vu. I hope and, you had a wonderful time. And yeah, uh, we'll see each other again on Zoom. Okay, for sure. Have a great day. If you want to reach out to me, you can go on to my new website, financialhealthdoc.com. Again, it is financialhealthdoc.com. Or email me at HMF hd2020 at gmail.com. One more time, it is hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.